Hey, y'all. I want to tell you about 70 Million, a Peabody-nominated podcast about criminal justice and jail reform from Lantigua, Williams & Co. Each week, starting September 14th, a team of reporters around the country chronicles how communities are enacting criminal justice reform in their neighborhoods. From the bail system and racialized policing to the school-to-prison pipeline and the spread of COVID in jails, this show gets right to the heart of the social upheaval we're experiencing and how communities all over the U.S. are taking action. Listen now at 70millionpod.com or search for 70 Million in your podcast app. You're listening to Natal. You're listening to Natal. You are listening to Natal. You're listening to Natal. A podcast about having a baby. Having a baby. Having a baby while Black. My name is Micah, and this is my natal story. My name is Kenya, and this is my natal story. My name is Shelly, and this is my natal story. Hi, my name is Cambricia, and this is my natal story. So guess what, Liz? I am actually telling a story about you and about when I found out I was pregnant with you and when I decided to go to a hospital. Hey, y'all. I'm natal co-host Martina Abraham-Zalunga. If you tuned in last week, you know that we're sharing the conversations from our natal summit with all of you here on our podcast. Next up is a panel with medical providers and birth workers. When planning for this panel, we wanted to make sure that we brought all kinds of practitioners together, from midwives and OBGYNs to doulas and even mental health providers. I personally really enjoyed moderating this conversation because while it's the ideal, it's not every day that providers like these all come together in one space. I think you are all really going to enjoy the insights and realness that our panelists served. So let's get into it. Now we are heading right into our very next session. One, and we can start to welcome our panelists onto the screen. Um, So this session is all with our care providers. As we mentioned earlier, I am not a parent. I've never been pregnant and I came to the natal very, very green about all things birthing and birth equity. And one of the most rewarding parts of this work has been the opportunity to connect with birth workers and medical providers who really made it their lives work to ensure that black birthing parents have access to wholesome and affirming care. And so I am so honored to moderate this session with a group of people who I highly respect and admire. All right, so we have everyone here. Hello, hello. So I'm going to introduce everyone and then we can get right into the questions. So first, this is in no particular order, but first we have Tanya Smith-Johnson. She is a midwife and a policy director of Healthy Mothers, Healthy Babies Coalition, Hawaii. Um, and that, which is a local nonprofit agency that is a part of a network of organizations and individuals committed to improving Hawaii's maternal child and family health. And I think, did Tanya drop off? I don't know what happened. I think, oh yeah, we'll let her come back on. And then we have Dr. Simi Bamache, who actually was featured in our fourth episode of Natal, but she is a consultation liaison psychiatrist at Cedar sinai Medical Center in LA. And she has a special interest in reproductive psychiatry and is committed to ensuring that all women have access to timely and cost-effective mental health care throughout their lifespan. Next, we have Latham Thomas. 
um, who is a doula, doula and founder of Mama Glow. And Mama Glow is New York's premier materni maternity lifestyle brand committed to supporting women along the childbearing continuum and offering a full spectrum approach to holistic wellness. And they are the first company to offer doula support at every stage along the childbearing continuum, including premium fertility doula service for hopeful expectants. And last but certainly not least, we have Dr. Jamila Parrott, who is a board certified OBGYN and member of Black Mamas Matter Alliance. And she provides on the ground community-based care focusing primarily on the intersection of sexual health, reproductive rights, and social justice. So let's all welcome our speakers for this panel. You can all unmute yourselves. <laughs> hello. Hello, hello. Hi. How are you all? Hello, thank you so much for welcoming us. Oh, Wonderful to be here. So honored. So my first question is for Tanya and Latham. So, you know, throughout the natal season, we've talked a lot about how birth work is, has been led by black women and black people really for centuries. And now that black perinatal health um, and the work that birth workers do, like the doulas and midwives like yourself, are becoming a bigger part of a national conversation. What do you see folks are getting right about birth workers and, or how would you reframe that conversation? Um, I mean, I'll start. I think one of the things that um, people don't get right is, um, I, you know, in my work as a doula, going into hospital settings and having people ask, what's the difference between a midwife and a doula? Um, and these are actual clinicians who should know better, who should know that midwives are um, especially skilled and even not afraid of a lot of things that we see um, doctors afraid of. You know, breach presentation, for instance, is like nothing to a midwife. And you'll see that there is this, this um, fear and understanding of navigating the pelvis in traditional ways a lot of the ancestral traditions that um, are part of just uh, a wath of practices that are um, resources and pulled, you know, from uh, in, in things that we do in, in care providing um, that is collaborative, that is um, client and patient centric is something that's not valued across all these spaces. And so I think that, um, you know, one thing to really get right I mean, there's so many things to change, but one thing to really get right is to really lean into um, our ancestral traditions, to look at the past, but also to look at the people who are modeling for the future, who are closest to the problem, because they are creating solution sets that actually make sense. And, um, and so, because in this time of COVID, for instance, right, where we see tremendous gaps in, in our care providing system, we see that um, it's really clear that this nation has built systems against caregiving and has built systems against midwifery. Um, this has been, like you said, hundreds of years of, um, of real propaganda to undermine the value, the, the knowledge base, the skill sets that have been stolen, appropriated, repackaged, and retooled into the medical system, and, and then basically making it impossible for people to get care provision outside of hospitals, right? So out of hospital um, birth options are not widely shared with people when they go in and talk to their providers. It's not something that'll be brought up in a way that they feel um, comfortable with. It'll be brought up like, if you wanna do that, it's on you. Like it's a mistake, right? Instead of saying this is a healthy option for someone and particularly for people of color and BIPOC communities where we want people who 
are, who can provide us with appropriate, um, you know, care that is um, informed by people who come from similar backgrounds, but certainly have um, the, the skill sets to be able to support us. Um, we need to have options. And I think that one thing I would like to see more of is, is that type of transparency. And also to say like, you know, I don't know, I don't have all the answers, but there are people who can provide you with other options outside of this space and you should look into that. I mean, that, that kind of honesty is really important, especially in a marketplace for people who are buying anything. And when it comes to your care, I think it's critically important to be able to have, to have culturally appropriate care and options that make sense for you. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's almost like you're reading my mind because you're, that's, you know, a big part of what I want this conversation to be about today. But Tanya, I want to give you a chance to, um, you know, to add to, you know, and, and to chime in as well. And what are your thoughts around what folks are getting right or wrong around birth work and the work that you provide? I think one of the things that um, we're getting right is that we should be concerned that we're in crisis. Um, the conversations are starting to happen in more and more in spaces about Black birthing people, what's happening to us, um, the solutions, those kinds of things. I think that is getting, you know, told right. I think we're seeing a lot more storytelling about what's really happening to people. We're putting names to stories and faces, and we're seeing it over and over again in a way to where it does it just doesn't seem like it's something that's happening in pockets, but we're now starting to see that it's systemic, that it's happening all over, that it is happening repeatedly. So it's not something that's inherently wrong with the Black birthing person, but it's the system that's wrong. And so I'm starting to, to appreciate that, you know, we're seeing more of that happening and people are really starting to get it. You know, people are really starting to believe Black birthing people when we say this is what's happening. Because it seemed like for a period of time, it was just that those were just individual stories and it was just unfortunate that that happened. Or maybe it was something the birthing person could have did better to make that outcome not happen. So I, I do appreciate that. One of the things that I think we're getting wrong is to where we're constantly talking about the problem and we're not talking about the solutions. You know, so what do we do now? We know that these are issues. So how are some of the ways that we tackle the problem? In really big ways, right? In ways in which we're talking about what kind of policies do we need to change? What's happening in the medical, you know, system that needs to change? How do we upscale the force? Like how do we get back to the place where black midwives, black birth workers were the ones who held that knowledge, who had this skills, who did births, not just for Black communities, but for white people too. So how do we get back to the place to where the force is full of birth workers, full of midwives, full of support people who take birth back into their hands, into a place to where we're no longer dying in institutions? Yes, yes, absolutely. And that is actually a great segue into the next question. And I really wanted to direct this to Dr. Parrott and you, Tanya, also. So you each come at this from different points um, along the care spectrum, right? Working in hospitals, clinics, birth centers, and at home, and helping to support family, Black families in all those settings. But for parents who, parents who trying to work with community-based birth workers and or you know, pro providers within the mainstream medical system often say that this is a disjointed experience, as you all know. And so thinking of solutions here, you know, what, are ways in which these two systems can better collaborate and work together? And what are actionable steps that care providers 
we have many on the call with us today can take to foster stronger relationships and healthier relationships that center black birthing parents? Uh, do, you, do you want me to go? All right, you can go ahead. <laughs> so thank you so much. I, I'm, I'm gonna go because I, I just want to really lift up so much of what Tanya said about systems, right? I think um, when we're thinking about solutions, one of the biggest mistakes we made is really approaching it from an individualistic frame. This idea that it is a one, one man show that makes things go right or wrong. Uh, and that's the way we're taught in the field of medicine, right? If something goes wrong, who's the person's fault that it is? And when we're talking about birthing people and particularly black birthing people, often the narrative we hear is one of blame that centers that individual in terms of poor outcomes. So one of the reasons why um, so much of my work crosses so many different spaces, right? Clinical, clinical practice, policy, public health is because I know that there is not a single individualistic solution that will bring us the liberatory reality that we're looking for, right? And so it means working across all of these systems and understanding what it means to, uh, to look at root causes, which are often structures, right? And so the idea that the field of medicine will be the single place in this country that has remained untouched by the legacy of white supremacy is foolish and it's been harmful, right? This idea that we are uniquely placed to be separate, different, right? Unaffected by legacies of genocide, of slavery, of oppression, of colonization, right? Um, it does not make sense and it isn't logical. And so if we're looking for solutions, we have to begin with that part of it. We have to begin where the assault was made. What does it mean to undo, unlearn, dismantle, destroy, and then rebuild a new system, um, understanding beginning from a place where that harm was caused. And so it doesn't, it, the solutions don't begin uh, at the time the person shows up at the hospital to deliver their baby, right? That's not where we're gonna find our solutions. So we have to work at the beginning, the middle and the end um, when we're thinking about how we're gonna approach this work. Yes, yes. Tanya, did you wanna add anything to that? Absolutely, that was beautiful, Dr. Parrott. And I would, I would, you know, add like, you know, if we wanted to talk about, you know, some like real solutions, some of the things we can do, right? So how about we have midwifery programs in our HBCU medical schools, right? Where there are black midwives, where um, they're being trained alongside black doctors. How about we upscale the force, right? To where we get to a point to where we are actually actively recruiting more black doctors. We are making sure that those black doctors are in community because it's unfortunate that, you know, that 2% of the, you know, of OB-GYNs are black and the same cuts across all, you know, birth worker, you know, forces. That's the same for nurse midwives. It's the same for, you know, home birth midwives. So we keep going. It, that's so in essence, it doesn't matter where we birth. If you birth at home, if you birth a birth center, you birth in the hospital, if all of the practitioners are white, we never see ourselves, we never see someone who looks like us, who understands us when we birth wherever that is, then it's going to be problematic, right? So we need to upscale the force. We need to, you know, we need to change how med school is taught. I did a quick stint in med school and, you know, and I was a young mother and it was horrific, you know, um, 
the the thought that I, I I never learned about breastfeeding, you know, that, you know, the way that we, you know, in clinicals that we even, you know, were taught and talked to clients, you know, so there's so many things that we can do and we can go backwards, you know, and start from the beginning before that client comes in pregnant into our offices and into our centers to seek care. Yeah, and, and I think, touching on can I just add one thing to that? Because I think it's so important, right? When we're talking about what we're doing and, and the numbers are, are um, the way that we are are not reflected in uh, the numbers of folks providing care. And that is critical and something absolutely we need to strategize around. And the reality is also that even me attending an HBCU for med school, right? Knowing that we are still, that legacy of white supremacy still shows up there too, right? And so it isn't just absolute numbers that are going to get us where we need to go, which is why I think it's so important what Tanya is talking about, right? It's both and, right? So it just having more Black providers, whether they're OBGYNs, other birth workers, midwives, doula, it just changes the way that uh, power is enacted. It doesn't change uh, the power dynamics at all. So it is yeah. doing those things because we bring our own lived experience to the training for sure. And that impacts the number of us who go back to our own communities and provide care and making sure that we're also learning the truth about how we got here and whose bodies and backs this medical evidence was built upon and why that is relevant and how we're receiving and providing care in our own communities. Not knowing, I'm just going to say one quick thing because I know you need to, but so one of the, the, the flaws in the medical system very clearly is the way that we hop around in our training. You move every four years off into a different city to provide to provide care, right? To practice mm -hmm. on folks in that city. You have no grounding in the community. You often are not from there, don't know anything about the people there. And it is not an obligation or a requirement to even learn about the community that you're caring for. How can you approach care in a holistic way if you have no idea who you're caring for, right? So thinking about more Black providers, yes, yes, yes. And understanding that the system is broken. Well, yeah. it's working how it's supposed to work, but it's not working for us. And that's the reality. I mean, that was one of the more eye-opening, you know, discoveries, just kind of coming into this work and doing research for Natal and really understanding how the training is done um, and what, how medical providers are trained, especially in terms of like interacting and seeing black patients. So everything you said, I mean, all of you, gems all across the board, but Dr. Simi, I want to ask you some questions now. So, you know, as a psychiatrist, um, you know, we, when we hear about perinatal care, maternal care, we don't always think about mental health experts, but all of these experiences that black parents are having when they're stepping into hospitals affect their mental health on top of just being black in America, right? And so as a psychiatrist, you're doing work that we're really only just starting to have, I think, a collective or a national vocabulary around. And so what opportunities do you see for parents to receive more holistic care that encompasses their mental health um, during their perinatal journey? Well, I think that's such a great question. I'm so happy to be on this panel with everyone because what I want to highlight first of off is that having more Black providers in this space, it really does it brings in a lot to the space that I feel like as a psychiatrist, I, I, we learn in our training about the intergenerational transmission of trauma and we learn about the ways that trauma comes in the room, but the other providers around are not really doing that in their training. So when you're in a majority white institution, for example, they're not really coming in with that same thing. So kind of just the lived experiences of black providers, I think in general, that adds something in terms of feeling 
for the patients and for the birthing people to feel supported and to feel like somebody kind of understands what they've been through to get to this moment where they are right now. Um, and I think that now there is this moment where, where people are, we are trying to integrate mental health care more closely into, um, into our reproductive care. And now in California, there's been two bills that have been passed in the past couple of years, um, AB 2193 and AB 3032, that really make sure that we're screening all moms that we're, um, and parents and birthing people for postpartum and depression, and that we have integrated programs and using federal funds to treat um, mental health conditions that come up. So I really believe that in order for there to be true changes in, in reproductive justice, we have to integrate the mental care, mental health care. Um, and so, um, and so what I do too as a liaison is really talking to the providers and OBs and just having people remember to think about trauma, think about depression, think about anxiety and the ways that it can manifest differently in a person of color than in um, white people or, you know, and so, um, I'm just really excited that people seem to be more receptive to it every day and being a community like this where I feel like it's becoming more to the forefront that mental health is not like this tiny little part that we can ignore for right now, but it really is integral to the whole experience, the whole birthing experience. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's something that really excites me. And so I'm, you know, we're happy to have you here and to talk more about that. Um, so now, when we think about Needle as a show, one thing that we really wanted to make sure that we addressed is the erasure of queer folks, of non-binary and trans birthing parents within the birthing conversations and birthing communities. So this question is really for everyone, but I'd love to start with you, Latham. How are you approaching your work with Black, queer, and trans non-binary birthing parents, right? What practices and resources have you um, used to really strengthen your practice with these families, um, a family of all different identities? Uh, thank you so much for that question. And um, adding to um, what Dr. Simney was saying a little bit about just how we all need to work together. One of the pieces that I think is really, is really so critical um, on the mental health side of things, and this does tie into this question that you have, is that, um, you know, as a provider that's non-clinical, and has a relationship with a client or and or family, I'm seeing things and fielding for things that may not come up in a clinical visit, especially those that are happening over Zoom or virtually, right? And so I need to be in dialogue with some skill sets and techniques that can help me to be able to identify where there are some gaps, right? Where this client might need um, access to licensed mental health support. And I think that, especially in our community, we see that we go underdiagnosed, we get misdiagnosed, we can also, um, we can also navigate those tests really easily because people think that we look together and we can, um, we can answer questions in a way or present in a way that um, doesn't necessarily um, show that we're necessarily candidates for um, uh, perinatal mood disorders, right? And so, um, and I think these things come up, especially for people who are navigating a space where they don't feel like they belong, right? And so I find folks that are, um, however they identify, we know that when you enter into a system that's not designed for us, that's not designed for us to succeed, um, we're going to be hit with, in every direction, uh, we're going to be hit with 
um, racism, we're going to be hit with bias, and we're going to be hit with experiences that we can't necessarily articulate and we don't have a patient advocacy safety net for, right? Um, and so what we find is uh, a couple of things is making sure that people have adequate tools to not only self-advocate, but also to just check in and, and ask ourselves and figure out like, who do I resource and call or reach out to when I have a moment like this with a provider, one that felt like it was um, aggressive, if I was aggressed, or if I felt, um, if I was misgendered, whatever it is that comes up for someone, that they have recourse to um, to take an action, right, where there can be accountability. Um, number two is making sure that people feel seen. Well, first is really making sure people feel seen. Do they feel like they're in a good relationship? Are they in right relationship with you? Are you the right provider for them, right? And if not, like, do you have access to someone who has better skill sets or who is in better dialogue with their needs? And, and can you work in, in community with those people to support them? I think making sure that we're aligning with um, the issues that are on the table um, for folks who are in this space with us that it's not like only a certain lane or only a certain issue there's so many things there's so many complexities and intersections that we have to honor in this dialogue and so i think that in the training you know that came up also you know in terms of education like yeah we have to across the board reframe education and we also have to look at the relationship that black folks across the board have with the lgbtq plus community because we have not accepted across the board. We have a lot of barriers to not just um, embracing, but actual acceptance of people being people, right? And so I think that that shows up, like Dr. Jamila was saying, like that nothing goes untouched and we are all flanked with white supremacy because we, because we just live here on this planet, right? And so um, it's a matter of just like how much we're engaged with our, with our, um, our practice of anti-racism and what that looks like as it shows up in our work as we unbind ourselves from the shackles as as um, BIPOC individuals. But when we're doing this work, it that's also the through line is also connected to the trans experience and the uh, non-binary experience. And to also note that historically being embodied black was also very non-binary for us. Like as black women, we were not allowed to be women we are not allowed to be seen as as feminine to have feeling to be embodied and so even even as we navigate this space there are a lot of similarities in how we were and our bodies are looked at right when we talk about people who are who are looking at us from a different lens and so i think that we have to see some of the actual similarities in our experiences of oppression and how we can also come together and, and fight for better um, fight for better care and better outcomes for us across the board. But I do think that it does take, you can't just like show up and think that just because you're black, um, okay, I can serve this person. I have had so many people say that they went to a black provider and they had a really bad experience, right? And so, you know, echoing everything that's been said across the board, it does have to be work that we're doing to dismantle and think about how we do build the future. And the future has to in be inclusive of everyone. Yes, absolutely. Anyone want to, you know, uh, chime in on that? Yeah, I'm just piggybacking on what Latham said. And, it, it, you know, I, I think it's important for us to realize that Black people aren't a monolith. 
we're not homogenous. We don't all think the same. We aren't all the same, you know? And, you know, as we think about decolonizing, as we think about intersectionality, we have to understand what that means for us within our own community. You know, what does that mean, you know, for non-binary, non-conforming, LGBTQI, a plus people and caring for them and seeing them like Lathan said. So how do we see them? How do we, you know, as practitioners take care, care of them? How, how is our language when we speak to them? Are we really seeing them or just, you know, making assumptions about how, you know, how we care for them just because they're black people, right? So, you know, for a lot of us who are in this work, it takes us checking ourselves, you know, learning as well, because we don't know everything, um, asking questions, being open to, you know, getting it right, and being open to, you know, passing someone along to someone else who's more qualified, who is a better fit, you know, because we don't need to constantly practice from this place of scarcity to where there's only so many Black, you know, you know, midwives. And so there's not a midwife, you know, for me, you know, so there has to be a place to where we have, you know, again, you know, just upscaling the force to where there are midwives that are for everyone. I would love for there to be a time where there are so many care providers to where you can throw a rock and you have to like, you're so overwhelmed from the choices because that's how many of us there are, but we're not there yet. Right. So, yeah. So it takes us like understanding, you know, within the black community, having those conversations. And those are some of the conversations we're not quite ready to have yet, but how do we care for all of us? How do we make sure all of us are seen in our intersectionalities, in our disabilities, seen and unseen? How do we care for each other and make sure we're all held in that way? I mean, that's huge what you're saying is really approaching this work from an abundance mindset, right? Because, and that is the true essence of community care. It's like there is enough here for all of us to get the care that we need, but also as birth workers for you to have the work that you need, you know? Um, but I want to, uh, Dr. Parrott and Dr. Simi, you know, anything to add there? Now, what I'd say is that this is the reason why I think it's important that we're not just talking about medical racism, but the influence of white supremacy on our work. Yes. Because if we, right, racism is a piece of white supremacy, but not in its entirety. And so when we're thinking about all of the intersecting oppressions in which we live, whether it's um, ableism or issues around uh, seeing and, and LGBTQ folks in our work, whether we're talking about nativism uh, and the in, uh, enthusiasm around um, the birth, where you're born and your nationality, right? And so understanding that all of those intersect to make up the components of white supremacy. So when we're talking about how we wanna dismantle these structures, right? Then it's not just looking at race as a single monolithic, as Tanya said, unit, right? But at the intersection of all of these things. And it will take work, that's true, right? This is a long game. We didn't get here yesterday. We won't get out tomorrow, right? Understanding that it's all of these pieces together. Absolutely. Dr. Simi. I mean, everyone, you guys all said such amazing things, I think, <laughs> you know, I there's not a lot I have to add there, except that I think um, I'm always learning. I'm still early in, in my career. And I think of all of us being able to approach it with humility, because what, what you said, Tanya, we're not, black people are not a monolith. And I don't know, I can't just look at any of you and know your experience. And so I think always learning, always being open um, to, to feedback from my patients or my colleagues or other, other providers, I think has just been, is going to be, continue to be so amazing. And I love that all of us are so open to that. 
Oh, amazing. Well, then I have a question for you. And this is again for everyone, but we can start with you, Dr. Simi. Just thinking about the kinds of investments that are needed to really build out more integrated models of care, especially where you know the position you're in, really thinking about mental health and integrating that health, that care more holistically into this perinatal care in general. Um, what kind of investments are you know, from your perspective, are needed to really build out this kind of integrated models? I really, there are a lot of integrated, or not a lot, actually, there's a few integrated models of mental health care in this country, um, and they have various levels of the way that they integrate, but I think the key is to really have a mental health provider as part of the OB team, which ideally is also going to be including doulas and midwives, um, in addition to OBGYNs and nurses, because there in one place and on the same page is going to be such a key. Um, yeah, so that's that's what I think. I think if, if there could be a psychiatrist or and or therapist in every single practice, I think that would be a great place to start. I don't know exactly know where the money's going to come from from that, but somewhere <laughs> somewhere we have to find it because it's so important. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. You know, I think it's it. So it's important, right? To what we're talking about is shifting who's in the center of the way that we do our work, right? And so in the in the schematic that Dr. Simi mentioned, the person is at the center, right? Yeah. Um, not the payer, not the system. And that's the way that we operate now. And so these silos that exist outside um, of the care network are arbitrary. We know that. We know that what's happening outside of the exam room, outside of the clinic, outside of the hospital is also happening in the room. And so we pretend as if they are disconnected. And so no one is healed, um, not the patient, not the provider, not our community, right? Not the nation. And so the reality is that unless the person who, um, who is in the middle of it is actually truly centered in the care, um, then it will continue to, to not just feel disjointed, but to actually be disjointed. Absolutely, absolutely. And Latham and Tanya, do you have anything to add before we get to our last question? I mean, I think that uh, one of the things that's been really, um, positive from this COVID from our perspective is that um, it's leveled the playing field for access to things like this, right? Educational tools, meeting spaces, convenings. Um, a lot of people have had time to reflect on how they want to show up in the world and what their, their particular imprint will be on this world. And a lot of people have shown up to, because of this, um, in the past couple of years, the seminal pieces that have come out about um, the Black maternal health crisis, people have said, what can I personally do, right? And so you see people saying, well, maybe it won't be full-time, but I wanna become a doula. I wanna do that education for myself because I might start a family or because I wanna heal my own personal trauma with birth, or I may wanna take this on a career, but whatever it means, this moment with creating more access digitally speaking, I think has been really great for so many people to, to learn. And so what I hope is that as we emerge and go back outside, that we can take a lot of these tools, these, these learnings, these things that have come from convenings like in, in spaces like this and continue to uh, further educate ourselves, but also look at, look at how we were before. There was obviously some things dysfunctional about how we were living. I'm not talking about that stuff, right? The commuting and working long hours and that, but I'm talking about how we used to gather, like our lives depended upon yes. it, right? And that's how we actually evolved. And so what does it mean when we come into community? What does it mean when all of us who are in a call like this are in a room together, right? And what is possible when we start to think about how do we build a future? Because um, 
you know, what black people really do is build the future, right? Like we are, we are really the people who lead what, what's going to happen, you know, in the future is it really starts with us. And so it's like, we're going to be the ones who take it forward. And so I, I just encourage all of us to think about like, what's my imprint on the future and how do I actively invest in that? And then how do I also actively divest in systems that are not supporting and serving myself and people who look like me? What are those systems? Start to identify and then collectively start to take action to actively divest because it's not enough to just say, I don't support this or I don't like this. We have to also start to move collectively like we do when we build as we, as we would like to do when we um, start to dismantle things as well. Oh, amazing. Thank you. And, and Tanya? Yeah, I'll just say, you know, again, like Latham said, I think COVID has, you know, laid us bare and we see all the ways in which, you know, we were broken and in ways that maybe like we didn't realize, you know, but now since we had, you know, sit ourselves down and we had to stay inside, you know, a lot of people are, are starting to think about the ways in which we have been caring for ourselves and each other, you know, being unable to be in community. What does that look like now? So, you know, as, as I'm seeing clients who are struggling, you know, right now, you know, who've given birth within, you know, COVID without having family support, without having community care. So I think a lot of us here on the ground, you know, realize like this is a moment for us to push and to push hard because, you know, we have, you know, not that we, you know, can't lose anymore, but we're at the, you know, pretty much at the point to where we have nothing to lose. So why not push? Why not, you know, be in these spaces and say like, what is it? How do we restructure the future? How do we come out of this, you know, bigger, better, you know, more cared for. And I think all of those, you know, we're starting to think about, you know, children, we're thinking about elders, we're thinking about community care in these ways, because we have to. Yes. Because we're in a space where we're like, what do we, you know, we didn't think about, you know, mothers and mothering and, and people parenting until we're in this space where we're all home with our children. And we realize how much work that is, right. you know, so I think right now we're in these spaces where we're, you know, where we're thinking about how do we restructure the future? How are we going to be forward thinking? And how are we going to come out of this, not just in a response to COVID, but how to build the future in a way that serves us better. So that's what I'm hoping that we, you know, we continue to push and that we use this moment to build. Absolutely. Well, that's actually a great segue into our last question of the session. So really thinking about the future and what, you know, care should look like for Black birthing parents, where do you all draw inspiration and your hope from? Um, I'll start. I know. Oh, no, please, Dr. Simi. Okay, Go start. right ahead. I know. We're all like, don't all start at once. Well, I think I've said it before. I'll say again, I just draw so much inspiration from everybody in this community, I think, and seeing the work that's being done because so often, you know, I'm probably one of very few Black faculty at my institution. It feels like you're alone in the work every day and like there's this huge mountain to, to climb. So being able to gather the um, sustenance and the energy from a community knowing that no matter what you do, there's, other, there's at least one person who's gonna appreciate what you're doing and is gonna be so grateful for it. Um, I think that's really where I'm getting my inspiration. Like this is te teeing me up for the whole weekend, for the whole week, I mean. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> you know, I'd say that my hope lies in the fact that we even continue to believe in the idea or possibility of liberation, right? I think, you know, if, if all of us are, are honest and, and, and let me just be clear that survival of pregnancy and in the postpartum period is the least of what 
we, we use to define freedom and liberation, right? Our idea of liberation is deeper and broader uh, and bigger than that. And so the idea that we can continue to hold that as something that is even a possibility um, gives me hope, right? And I see, you know, we hear a lot about um, this, this uh, deficit narrative around the ways that BIPOC people especially are broken. Um, but we know that that is not true. We see it in our families, we see it in our communities. I see it in my family and in my community. And so it still gives us hope uh, for liberation. And that is a wonderful thing. Oh, thank you. Beautiful. Um, I'll go. So I'll, I'll say that I get inspiration from my six children. You know, I have three girls, three boys. My oldest just graduated high school. And, and I think about her future. And I think about, you know, you know, if she chooses to parent and, you know, to, to become pregnant, what that looks like for her. I look at my sons, you know, and, you know, even, you know, we, we hear and we see all the hurt and pain and fear, but it gives me hope knowing that the six, I'm doing this work for the six of them and not just for them, but for all the children, for our future. Um, it's, it's sometimes lonely work, it's hard work, it's work to where, you know, you m may not be appreciated, but when I'm on a panel like this and I hear other people thinking the same way I'm thinking, thinking about liberation, thinking about our future, thinking about hope, you know, it gives me hope knowing like, okay, I could keep pushing through because I know we're all tired, you know, Black people have been tired, Black women particularly are tired, and all of us who are doing this work are tired, but knowing that there are other people pushing with me, even if I don't see them, you know, gives me inspiration to keep going on another day. Oh, awesome. And Latham, take us home. I just, you know, I also have a son who's 17. I draw so much um, daily inspiration also from him. And I see the, the youth really as um, leaders, right? In this charge for um, what, what the future will, will look like. Um, you know, I, I feel really hopeful that as we move into a conversation about Black life conservation, right? right? about um, centering Black life um, and, and thinking about how we remove the forces that are working on us before we're even born, before conception. What does it look like to, to really be thinking from that frame and to have everybody joining us, not just um, in protests for lives lost, but joining us in, in dismantling all the forces that are working on us before we even get pregnant. Because I think right now, for us, our children, your six children, my son, those of us who have children who are here, they really deserve not to walk in fear. You know, I don't want my son to be carrying with him what I carry for him. And so I, I think that part of our liberation collectively is that, that our children can really be free if they don't have to think about these things because we are solving for them. And like Dr. Jamila said, it's not gonna be easy and it's not gonna be fast, but it is gonna be work. And so we collectively have to do it. Those who are here, we all have something we can do. And so you should follow your charge. What is sitting on your heart and let God order your steps as you continue to do that work because we cannot do it alone. Wow, what a beautiful and poignant way to end. Thank you, Dr. Parrott. Thank you, Dr. Simi. Thank you, Latham. Thank you, Tanya, for joining us today. Thank for all the wisdom that you shared and for the work that you're doing every day. Um, everyone in the chat, please wish farewell to our panelists. You all were amazing. We loved hearing from you.
want to give a special thanks to USC Annenberg Center for Health Journalism, specifically Danielle Fox and Andrew Perez. And also, big shout out to our awesome research assistants, Flo Ebum, Opeyemi Famakinwa, and Mackenzie Grow. And shout out to our natal summit sponsors, Black Mamas Matter Alliance and Stork. Finally, a huge thank you to our guest editor, Tressa Versegg.